two of our conversation with Susie Bonaracco. Okay, so we're going to try some rapid fire question and answer here. Okay. So this is, I, I'm going to be way oversimplifying your role <laughs> in, uh, in, in the, you know, the detail that you put into your analysis, but we'll try and, uh, we'll try and move quickly on these and just give me the, you know, I'm going to name it what I think is a general direction or demographic trend and you, you know, respond with how that is influencing the food industry. Okay. Okay. So uh, in aging population, so we've got baby boomers that are moving towards a quote, fixed income as consumers, expanding aging population and boomers. How's that going to affect? Um, more towards uh, solo diners because the kids are out of the house. So it could be two people, but it could be solo diners. So that would also affect um, in retail, especially packaging, how to package, you know, things that are easier to open for this group. Um, smaller portions or share portions if there's two of them at home. It's going to affect um, things like that. Also, boomers tend to be more, uh, they actually be tend to be earlier adopters than millennials even for um, new items that come onto the market. Mm -hmm. Okay, so millennials. <laughs> Everyone wants to know about millennials. Uh... <laughs> so millennials, um, right now, they are, you know, if they haven't already, they're out of college, they're entering industries, they're starting their families. This group is the number one group that tends to go everywhere with the kids. So if you're talking about restaurants, you've got to have kid-friendly restaurants and menus. 35% mm. um, of millennials who moved back home, though, I'll tell you from 2008 in the recession, never moved out. So you do have millennials still living with their parents. Millennials are extremely codependent decision makers. They do not make a decision unless they, you know, very still codependent on parents and what they're doing. Um, and they don't want to be friends with you, They, meaning the company. Um, they only want to be able to partake in the company, so they want to be able to name the next food or help design the next packaging. Um, they're also not sustainably driven. Even though they say they are, they're really not behaviorally. They are not the leaders for sustainability. Gen Z is the leader for that. And Gen Z is which group? Gen Z is below millennials. They are five years old to 18 years old right now. And then alpha gen is zero to five. Okay. So Gen Z was born into sustainability. Millennials were not. So Gen Z doesn't know anything but sustainability and organic and recycling. Um, millennials say they, you know, do all that, but, but really they will shop with their pocketbook first and sustainability is kind of second for them. Okay. Okay. And that's interesting. Okay. Uh, immigration, or more specifically, a country that is increasingly a community of people with different ethnic backgrounds and experiences. So, um, right now, consumers really want authentic experiences with food. So, immigration populations that have any influence, what we're getting from them is authentic recipes, like whether it's Russian or Middle Eastern recipes or foods coming in from the deep south or, you know, Mexico, South American. We want authenticity right now. What that will give way to more with confidence and economic recovery is more of the fusion cuisine. So we'll have more immigrant cuisines, if you will, to play with in this country that we're familiar with to be able to fuse and mix with other cuisines. Okay. All right, three more. Uh, a global population on its way to nine billion. Uh, GMO is going to have to increase. 
and that's why some of the countries over Europe, Asia are already looking at this because there's no way to feed all of these people. Um, also, the it gets hopefully <laughs> uh, it gets more you know friendly and consumers get more knowledgeable about all the different cuisines that might be coming in with these populations. You know that that's the sunny side of the picture. Hopefully. Okay. Uh, the obesity epidemic in the United States where, uh, you know, one out of three Americans is considered to be overweight and one out of three is considered to be obese. So in America, it's funny. Um, most people who, okay, there's two different things. One, there are people that have been studied that don't think they have a weight problem at all, even though they are clinically obese. Another group knows they're clinically obese, but ha does not believe at all it has any health detractors to them at all. They think they're healthy but big, which, again, is not true. Um, the third group knows they're obese and doesn't care. They have no intention of changing their diet, and they're just happy. So the only the – only, so the obesity numbers have just keep increasing, increasing, increasing. So the only thing that would ever change the obesity epidemic from continuing to grow is if consumers gave a crap. And right now, they don't. Makes sense. Pretty much. Okay. That's why it okay. keeps growing. Mm -hmm. Labeling laws. I, I don't know. Are they, uh, one, I don't know if they're going to expand or contract. Uh, it depends on, I guess, a lot of questions about regulation. But how could that affect, uh, you know, what people consume? So labeling laws, right now, um, let's, like, if we talk about, the labeling laws that are hitting restaurants, so menu labeling laws specifically, only 25% of restaurants in the United States actually have to have labels on their menus or available to their clients. Most people don't know that. They think, oh, everybody, it's only 25%. So one thing we're absolutely predicting is those labeling laws will get more strict so that more restaurants have to put calories on the menus or have it available because it's mm -hmm. only 25% right now. Um, on the other hand, research always shows consumers do have a lot of ignorance around labeling. So, for instance, the new sugar labels that are coming out where they're separating out, you know, sugar and then there's a second line that says, um, you know, added sugar. Consumers don't know how to read those. What they do is in research they will add the two numbers together instead of realizing added sugar is a subset of the sugar part on the label. They don't know how to read it. So. Labeling laws, part of the problem is education. Consumers don't know how many calories they're supposed to have in a day. They don't know how much salt they're supposed to have in a day. I mean, we're decades behind countries like Japan who not only have calories on all their menus, but they also have photographs of all the, you know, the items on the menus too. It's very common over there to have that. So if anything, we're going to be moving kind of in that direction, but education is probably our biggest problem because consumers are kind of confused and they don't really know what they're supposed to be having in a given day. So the label is not quite as useful as we would like it to be. Hmm. The ill-informed American consumer, that's a trend that we can always rely on. Yeah. So we <laughs> know not to eat a lot of salt, yet we eat a lot of salt because we don't know how much salt is a lot. And, and so that's kind of where the problem lies. So they're very yeah. interested in looking at the labels and looking for ingredients that they recognize. You know, they can do that. But unless they're, you know, more educated about it, self-taught or, you know, school, whatever, um, it's not as helpful as we would think it is. 
Got it. Okay. So before we wrap up, let's look around the corner. Um, and we'll just we'll do we'll do it short term, and then we'll do long term. So okay. so let, let's give me two trends that I should expect uh, to either grow or or start in the next uh, let's say two years. So I would definitely be watching that the morph on the deep southern cuisine going up more to um, again Appalachian country or regions of the country, Ozark region, um, Pennsylvania Dutch is even starting to show up. So the whole regional flavor trend in this country, the biggest one is kind of deep south and kind of creeping up the east. And that's going to just keep going for the next few years. Um, I think another fun one that's not going to go anywhere is uh, invasive, well, it's two things, invasivores and insects. Insect Again, it's got the ict factor, but it's already in a lot of products in this country in the form of cricket flour. Mm-hmm. It's supported by the UN. It's supported worldwide. You know, we're one of a handful of countries, you know, a few countries that don't eat already constantly eat insects. It's kind of got a glass ceiling, but the protein is a great source. Invasivores is also another brilliant one I love. Invasivores is literally eating the things that are annoying you, basically. You know, it's, it's eating things that are invasive. So it could be plant or it could be animal. But so lionfish in the deep south, in Florida particularly, lionfish have moved in. They're hurting the indigenous fish population. So now they're on the menu down there in Florida and other southern states. Oh, okay. There can also be invasive weeds or invasive greens. That they're, they're just in the wrong location, right? They're invasive. So they're, they're not in their natural habitat, but they've taken over that new habitat to the detriment of what is normally growing there. So the, the best solution is not, not to just kill it, but to may as well put it on the menu. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's go out if you can. And I don't know. And, and we'll, we're not going to, well, this will be live forever, I suppose on the internet, but let's try five, seven years out what let's look out there as far as you're comfortable going out there what are the one or two things that, so uh, yeah when you start getting out five to ten years with a forecast it it gets the list gets a lot shorter and it gets <laughs> a lot broader so for instance five to ten years like if anyone can says they can tell you a flavor in five to ten years like run <laughs> because no one can because there's so many factors that influence flavor. What you can say in that five to 10 year range, you can say sustainability is still going to be here. That whole issue is the Pandora's box. It's not going to go anywhere. Another one would be um, the focus on kids meals and kids menus. Kids Mm -hmm. meals are moving as quickly as it can away from kiddie food, like nothing wrong with hot dogs and hamburgers and chicken fingers, but, but there's a whole another world out there with adult foods that, these menus and foods are moving away from. Um, and, and parents, very, basically parents also want, if you go to a restaurant, they want the kid's menu to be a mini version of the adult menu. They don't want to go out to a nice restaurant and have the kid to have to have macaroni and cheese. Nothing wrong with macaroni and cheese, I'm just saying. So that's another Pandora's box where that is, is not going to go anywhere. The obesity issue is not going to go anywhere. Um, whether it's going up or down in five to 10 years, it's still going to be like a major focus for our industry, government, the clothing industry, you know, it's, it's absolutely still going to be there. So you, that far out, you have to kind of look at, you know, what 
is kind of unstoppable. And those are three things that are really unstoppable things that will still be a huge topic for everybody. Got it. So kids aren't going away. Got it. No, apparently not. <laughs> uh, that, that does make sense. I, I have kids myself and, you know, kids are plain eaters. That's That seems to be a fact. But it definitely, when we do go out, it does seem like uh, I'm almost disappointed sometimes that because there is chicken fingers on the menu, they're going to choose that. And then I don't feel like I've given them any sort of experience that is, frankly, beyond what I could have just done at home. Yeah, see, and we're one of the countries that has caused that. It's not the kids are plain eaters. Um, in other countries, you see little four- and five-year-olds eating all sorts of exotic things because that's what they were raised on. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they're eating exactly what the adults are eating. Our country is one of, the, one of the countries that, you know, decades and decades ago somehow decided, no, they should have a totally different menu. <laughs> so it's kind of our own fault because in other countries there's lots of research showing no that's not how kids eat kids eat exactly what the adults are eating in many versions so that's finally kind of the way we're starting to move and millennial parents want us to move that way too so you know that generation now that they're having kids that's kind of part of the, that push is to not have this separate patronizing simple menu for kids because they are more sophisticated than we give them credit for Mm-hmm. All right. So now that I feel guilty about my own parenting skills, we're going <laughs> to. <laughs> no, I will tell you, Drew, my son bursts into tears at seven years old. He's now 15. Burst into tears because I ran out of dried crickets from Mexico. <laughs> burst into tears over this. And, and at that age, he refused to eat a salad unless it had fresh flowers on the salad. And I'm like, who are you? What is going on? <laughs> Well, uh, I admire your household right now. Uh, <laughs> I, I wish they were bursting into tears over, over that. Yeah, the uh, lack of insects in the house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Susie, this has been absolutely fascinating. I, I don't know how uh, I'm not going to want to follow back up with you and ask you many more questions, including, uh, you know, perhaps a quick update on on some of these trends and what we're seeing out there. Um, what you do is just interesting. It's fascinating. I don't know why a company would not, uh, you know, consider your services um, <laughs> to be, you know, it, it just, it, it would be like flying a plane blind without at least, um, you know, receiving some of this type of information that you share with us. And I'm, I'm sure it goes much deeper. Um, so I want to thank you very much uh, for, for sharing you know, it's, I said I'm just a little overwhelmed by the number of insights <laughs> um, and, and how much, you know, you consume and digest and uh, are able to present um, regarding such a vast array of just situations and data and, and trends and everything. So, um, so thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate it. Oh, no, thank you. And, yeah, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact me. Thank you. And and how could they do that? What is the website that uh, with your company? So it's just um, culinarytides.com. And then same thing, we're on um, LinkedIn and Twitter. But we, we do kind of keep a low profile. <laughs> All <laughs> Shockingly. Right. Well, yeah. Well, well, thank you very much again. Okay, thank you.